Championship Daily coming to you from the Oval Day 4 between Australia and India. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The show brought to you by Westfield London and Westfield Stratford City. More extra. Less, less ordinary. ordinary. And, uh, well, it wasn't an ordinary day. We haven't had any ordinary days in this test match. It was another tussle. But, Adam, you have to tell us about the entire day in the space of 30 seconds. Uh, Australia started 296 ahead with six wickets in hand. They were bowled out. They weren't bowled out. They, were, they declared it. 270 for eight with Kerry making 66 not out important runs. There were times when Australia were under a bit of pressure, but for the most part they did as they pleased, especially after lunch with Mitchell Stark and Kerry adding 91 for what would have been probably the seventh wicket, I reckon. India, in reply, lost two wickets. Well, they lost an early wicket, which is controversial. We'll come to that in a sec. Then two wickets in the final session in the 20th and 21st overs, and from that point forward, they've been immaculate with Rahane and Kohli getting them to stumps with an unbeaten 71-run stand. They've got 280 to get tomorrow to break all the records. 444 is their target. I love it. I love it. There's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack about today, but we have to start with a talking point. And I think I need to preface this a little bit because this show goes out on the internet, and there are people on the internet who know who we are and what we're about and ones who don't, um, and some of them may come to this. So just to point out, we're Australian. We don't care who wins. We do not care. Couldn't couldn't care less. It's about watching the game. Uh, low catches to the ground. They happened, three of those happened in a test in Sydney yep. when South Africa played Australia earlier this year. And when Simon Harmer had his fingers on the ground, the South African at slip and an edge from Manus Labuschagne went onto the fingers and up into the palms and it was given not out. We said, that's ridiculous. That should have been out. Yes. In the same way as we said the same thing about a couple that Steve Smith took that were given not out later in the test match. So... Broadly speaking, doesn't matter what team you're from, this is about the way the law is interpreted. The Cameron Green catch off Shubman Gill was out 100% comfortably because of the way that the law is enforced. So Law 33 has the bit where it says that the ball can't make contact with the ground. People look at that close-up bit where they can see there's a bit of room between the fingers and it might be touching the grass and they say, oh, well, it's touching the ground, so it should be not out. That's not an unreasonable way to interpret the law. It's just that that's not the way the law has been applied exactly. or has ever been applied across 150 years of test cricket. That's why people were so surprised during the South Africa-Australia test when Richard Kettlebury gave those decisions not out because they looked out. When you are holding a cricket ball, it is a sphere. Your hand is not a sphere. When you wrap your fingers around it, there are gaps between your fingers. And if you then smush that hand into the ground, parts of the cricket ball will touch the ground. But the important part is, is the ball in control in your hand? Which did, is in the law. Did the ground help you take the catch? Yeah. That is the fundamental point of the low catch law. Did you take the catch because the ground was there or were you taking the catch and the ground was there incidentally? And that's what happens with Green. It's into his hand, above the ground, then his hand touches the ground. And even that close up video that is supposed to be very incriminating, shows that he has a firm grasp of three fingers and his thumb wrapped around the ball. He's holding the ball already. It's out. Every bit of subsequent evidence got better for the Green case, I reckon. I mean, I first saw it and thought, what I always think is that um, if you don't give those out, then what are you giving out? Now, yep. if we arrive at the view, and remember the law's explicit about this, that the hands can be touching the ground. If we collectively arrive at the view through all of the scrutiny on this moment and all the other moments like it, that no part of the ball can ever touch the grass. Remembering, as you say, quite rightly, the ICC elite panel interpreted that way. If we want to change that, 
We need to change the law, the MCC laws of the game, to say that hands can't be touching the ground when the catch is taken. Yep. That's the only practical way of doing it because that's the only thing you can be conclusive about is that are the hands touching the surface? That you can tell yep. from, from the angles that we get. Is the ball touching the grass? Almost always it is in these, which is why they always prove so divisive because people who don't have a particularly sophisticated handle on the laws go, hey, look, it's proof the ball's touching the ground. Yep. That's not how it's interpreted. Yep. The, the words in the law are vague. The law probably could be spruced up a little bit the next time they um, improve the Little Blue Book, the last edition of which was in 2017. We've done episodes and interviews with Fraser Stewart from the MCC before. We have a strong interest in the laws of the game, how they're written, how they're applied, how they're interpreted. Like we've got form on this, on this podcast. And one law that will need looking at again at some point now the soft signal has gone this is really important the soft signal being wiped out before this test match means that Ketterborough would have been in an invidious situation had on the field the umpires said that's not out because he would have been well I need conclusive evidence and, I, and, it, and he would have found it very difficult what I'm trying to say is the default in situations like that was to go with the soft signal it's all too bloody hard sure. now we the shifted the onus. In those situations was generally out. They well, would generally say it's probably it, it, out. Exactly. But I'm saying is they've shifted the onus onto the third umpire yep. to take their best stab at it. And as Barat Sunderation, who's a qualified umpire, umpires grade cricket in South Australia, he's done the exams. He knows the laws back to front as well. When they're going through their checklist, and Ketterborough did a good job of this on the television, listening back to the coverage later, um, he was trying to establish whether the ball was in control. He wasn't looking at whether the ball touched the surface. That is neither here nor there. You may not like it, but once the ball was taken in the mitts, yep. it's about whether he's controlled it. If you don't like it, that's fine. But it, then, then you would be in a position where you want to see the whole law rewritten so that people can't have hands on the turf. And it's a whole other conversation. So yep. yeah, it's controversial. Yeah, I get it. You can watch it a thousand times. Everyone can arrive at their own conclusion. There have been other instances like this where the third umpire has overturned a not out soft signal. Talking to Harsha Bogle about that on commentary earlier. That's true as well because umpiring is fundamentally subjective. Does that mean that Richard Kettleborough, who has been seen as what? the best umpire of his generation? Is that an unreasonable call? I mean, right. near enough to it. Do you think he is going out of his way as a sleeper cell to help the Australian team win a competition and do something that would immediately annoy a billion Indian fans when India run the global game? That would be an absurd proposition that makes no sense whatsoever. All it could do is damage his life, damage his livelihood, damage his career in the process. He's made that call because in good faith, he thinks that Cameron Green has controlled the ball. Another third umpire might arrive at a different view. Sorry, Jeff, yep. it's a long rant, one last thing. It bolsters the case that we've made before as well for specialized TV umpires that sit in a bunker in Dubai or wherever, I don't care where they sit, a group of eight or 10 who are always the third umpire for every TV game around the world, what that would mean is we'd have consistency. There wouldn't be a difference from umpire to umpire because only a small group of them would be doing it and they would be specialising in his particular skill. That might help as well. That might. That might help. So if you if you think it's not out on the basis of reading the law, that's fine. That's, that's fine. That, I mean, that's understandable. It's not. If like, you don't like the law, that's fine. Well, I've, more the point I'm making is it's not like you're an idiot. It's not like we're talking down to you if you don't think that's the case. It's just that that's not the way that it's actually applied. Elite so, umpires do not interpret it that way. Yes. Whether, you, whether we like it or not, they interpret it the way that we've described right now yep. if you want you can talk to the well we're privileged because we're journalists and we get to talk to the umpires quite a lot there, there will be other forums and platforms where you can talk to umpires who are on that elite panel and they'll tell you the same thing mm -hmm.
All right. So, uh, in the end, and look, I would have quite enjoyed watching Shubman Gill peel off. A Me too. That been, shot through the covers was glorious. Would have been nice Damien Martin style, out towards the Tennyson School. It was a work of art. I would have loved nothing more than Shubman Gill peeling off a tongue, just and as you say. Enjoyed the way that, uh, that India came out to attack it. They were set yeah. 444, and Rowett and Shubman just said, oh, well, we might as well play some shots. There's no point waiting around here. Um, and the way, that, what, the way the crowd lit up at that point was wonderful. And, and that was the counterpoint, I think, to... Like, I found it really sad that people were going at Cameron Green so much. They were screaming that he was a cheat. And it wasn't just yelling over the fence where you, maybe you can say it's part of the game. When he went up the stairs to the tea break, I was talking to some of the officials here who saw this, he was getting abused by people who made a point of going to the staircase where the players walk up and screaming at him that he was a cheat. It's as just, he was it's going just up ridiculous. I mean, the fact that the racial undertones as well, like I've been called a racist online today. I'm like what? Because I thought Cameron Green's snaffle was an absolute beauty. I think I said... That's a, that's a ripper of a catch better than his one yesterday. Um, what a great pair of hands. Yeah. And yet I'm an Aussie cheater. Come on, this is absurd. This is immature. It's puerile. It's childish. Let's talk about the cricket, not about all the other nonsense baggage. It, it demeans anyone who involves himself in it. So a, a strange kind of start to the day for Australia. They, they didn't come out and look to put the foot down and you know rack up a declaration total and get done. They were just happy to bat time. I yeah. guess because by the time they declared there were still 130-odd overs left in the game. And Should they, be a lot more than that. They probably don't want <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but they, they, they probably don't want to bowl any more than that anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, well, if India about 130 overs, then fair play to them. We'll you, share the trophy. You sharpened up my thinking on this when we spoke in the press box yesterday. You're right. Once you get to the point of about, you know, once you're into that fifth session, and even indeed your sixth session, as Australia had at Karachi last year, you get to the point where it's such diminishing returns that you're yeah. more likely to lose the game because the other side are batting against knackered bowlers. So yeah, there is a bit David of a tipping Warner's point bowling, there. You know, like yeah. you, 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 players who never bowl are being forced to come you're on. You're throwing the ball around and, you know, yeah, that's right. So I think that Australia made a balanced decision, taking time out of the game. I said in my intro on radio this morning, they'd earned the right to play it however they saw fit this morning. If they wanted to attack, fine back themselves and declare earlier. If they wanted to take it slow, that was fine as well. It wasn't really affecting where they landed. What was important was they didn't collapse. And getting to the point where Stark and Kerry got them to after lunch, I think that was really important that they were able to put the foot down at the right time. Stand of 91, Stark batted really well. Kerry, 48 and 66 not out in yep. this test match. Great start to the, the season over here for him, having not played a red ball game in England before. Well, batted in a red ball game over here before. So, yeah, um, th you know, I think they, they gamed and timed and played that all, all pretty nicely, even though India stuck to their task really well with the ball too, especially Jadeja. Well, I think the, the key for Australia in both innings at times has, has, you know, has been Kerry. Like, yes, they're a long way ahead when he comes out, but they're still in a position where if they fall over, then okay, India are chasing 300 and a bit, and it, it seems it's attainable. You know, they can yeah, really take yeah. their time. They've got the best part of two days left. Um, and, and they could relax into that task, I suppose. Kerry's, he's, he's in the team that's in front, but he's still got a fair job to do. Yeah. And, and in the first innings, he had a job to do as well because they had that one big partnership between Smith and Head and then very little other than that. And so Kerry's 48 is important there. Well, when too. he walked out this morning, I mean, Labuschagne is the fifth wicket to fall within, what, five minutes of the Has, Hasn't added to his overnight Does not to his overnight score. And then Green's out to Judasia when he's... I mean, he wasn't taking wickets, but he felt like he was on a bit of a roll. Yeah. Like, the way he was going about it, he was in the face of the Australians and the umpire. And you know what Jadeja can do to Australia? He averages 19 against them. He passed Bishan yeah. Beatty yesterday as well. He's um, 266. You know, how we how know, many did he take today? Three? Two or three? I think he took three for 50-odd. Yeah. You know, so that's was, 89 wickets against Australia for him now. Yeah, again, at 19. It's a staggering record. But yeah, you, you kind of felt like if India go bang, bang, bang there and Australia is still leading by, let's call it 340 or 350, well... 
the lived experience of watching India bat this afternoon. That yep. you know that they're backing themselves to go after 444. They would have absolutely gone hell for leather at 350. I mean, I know that as we said before, things aren't you know time isn't linear, and uh, yep. you know, just because um, India were chasing 444, that might have informed how aggressive they were, and they may not have gone that way if they were chasing 350. But still, sure. like the intent's been there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to have a little moment of appreciation for Umesh Yadav. Whose, yeah, whose yeah. work I enjoy, um, and the erraticness is sometimes part of the charm. But he was bloody good this morning, and he he got given the ball to start the day, which was a show of faith because he has he did bowl poorly in the first innings, and it's it has been Siraj and Shami being the, the class operators. But Rohit Sharma said, "No, you start the day." Hit his length immediately. Uh, was getting nice bounce. Was getting it to carry through, and then he draws the edge from Labuschagne. And you know he's made a contribution at least to this test match. Yeah, he was probably the man least likely this morning. I reckon Umesh Yadav. I know he bowled okay yesterday and got Kawaja out, but I was thinking more Shadul. Oh, a bit of up and down, a um, bit of cross-seam stuff might be a factor. Siraj bowled with real venom again today. Um, Shami, we might come back to in the Hall of Fame, actually. Um, he's a class performer over a number of years. But, yeah, Umesh Yadav, the fourth seamer, did his job. And, yep, they didn't take their 20 wickets. Australia did declare the second time around. But, again, I want to make the point that they stuck to their task. They, they never threw in the towel. They never went, like, full, let's absorb declaration runs and set fields back. They... They were always trying to get 10 wickets. And Mitchell Stark just batted quiet support yeah. for a long time. Only played one big shot, really, up towards the end of, of his innings once they were up towards an hour into that, that second break. And then the odd sort of situation where Cummins um, came out to bat, hit a boundary, they had a drinks break. He's hit one up in the air and got out and then declared. Can I give you a stat? Go on. Mitchell Stark's got a better batting average in England than Warner and Kawaja, both oh. openers. Kawaja oh. averaging, I think, 18 in England and Warner, well, and even 20, I think I saw on, on Crickviz yesterday. So Stark's made four half centuries in England and the 41. And I'm not saying that's going to keep him, you know, front of the pecking order as far as the bowlers are concerned. Might as well go there. Like Stark got clouded again today. Um, it's just not quite clicking. I had a chat to Stephen Finn before and He's like, you need to remember, going from bowling four overs to test match spells, forget what people say about um, building up loads in the nets. Nothing compares to playing games of cricket. And we were big mm -hmm. on this when Australia said they weren't going to have tour games and there will be some ring rust. And I think that's what we're seeing more than anything else with Stark at the Sounds moment. Sounds uncomfortable. Um, you can probably get a cream for that. <laughs> I, I think he'll be better for the run and he'll definitely play. I, I keep hearing, particularly our English colleagues, saying, well, well they won't pick Stark at Edgebasson, will they? Well, of course they will. They'll I, pick I'm him. sure it, they will. It's, not, sure they it's will. not a case of not picking him. It's kind of like, will the conversation centre around him in ways that it wouldn't have had he been Yep. more consistent this week. But Pete Lawler makes a great point. He's not there to bowl at three and over. He's there to take three or four wickets, right? So, yep. so um, And the India batting at the end, we haven't really talked about Kohli and Rahane. Bloody hell, how good were they? No, well, exactly. So after, you know, the, the openers put on that fast start and then fall, Pajara gets out playing the uppercut, which was a little strange. Probably what not. Doing? Probably not playing a lot of uppercuts what's, for Sussex. Um, what's, what's Pajara doing playing that shot, the over after Rohit Sharma's got out playing a bad shot? So I should say about Rohit's sweep. Nothing wrong with him sweeping, but what we've learnt watching Lion Bowl since he... Added extra weapons, shall we say, in 2017. You can't sweep him around the wicket because he has the one that goes straight on. He's much harder to sweep at. And Rowett was trying to sweep him inside his first over. Mm. Sure enough, the one that goes straight on, plumb leg before him. Yep, yep. And and Pajara was quite aggressive as well. Came out and played a couple of shots early. He was going at about a runner ball for his first 15 or so. Yep. And, and then he plays that, that uppercut. Which, I mean, to be fair, he has played up and over the slips before. It's not like he never plays that way. He did that in Brisbane even um, during that run chase a, a, a couple of times. But it's more when the ball's not as short and when it's wide he gets out to it and lifts it over the slips this was one of the above his head kind of yeah, telescoping yeah. periscope rather sort of one timing wasn't it like yeah. Coley had faced one ball when Pajara gets out and I know that what Rahane does with Coley 
arrest that, yep. if you like, that mini collapse, losing two for one. It was not really a collapse when it's two wickets, but the point I'm making is, is that yep. it could have gotten ugly there and, and instead they, they found a way to well, stabilise and needed to. And Coley looked a million bucks for the, just, for the 40 yeah. that he made by stumps, the way that he was driving you know, through the offside down <laughs> the ground. <laughs> the on-drive, it was all there. How about the flick he played down the ground? I mean, he's on 44 and he's played some priceless shots, seven boundaries, all of them from the top drawer. There was one down the ground not long before stumps when I was on comms, I was just purring. I mean, it's like he, he hit the boundary, he marked his guard and looked away. I mean, it's like a man totally in the zone. And yeah. we've seen Coley like that before. And Rahane, who he won't be quite so many. He'll be 20 from 59 when he starts again tomorrow. But that dabbed the third man a number of mm -hmm. times. We were, we, were, we were swooning over that yesterday. The, the contact point under the eyes, the little Joe Root stuff he's got going on. I mean, Rahane and Coley are the men most likely. And they've got a long way to go. But yep. they've done this before. Well, you just need a 300-run partnership tomorrow. And then you're pretty much home and home. So, uh, the <laughs> or a 200-run partnership. You know, yeah. they, 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 don't bat, they don't bat shallow. They've got Taku down the list. They've got Janesia batting at six. They do have Umashout of at nine. So if you get that far. That, yeah, you, I suppose that's true. Yeah. They, they are not as deep as I'm perhaps presenting it. But nevertheless, I reckon that They're Coley, deep right up until the point that they're not. That's it. That's a better yeah. way of putting it. They've got genuine batters to eight. Then it, yep. then it falls then, away. Then the guy with the second highest six hitting percentage in terms of career <laughs> runs in the history of test cricket. Who knows? Just behind Hassan Ali. Well, world you records. Wait. You know, we, we, we talk about these, these fourth innings chases, Jeff, and how... Fourth inning scores have, have really increased in the last few years, big chases and so on. We keep saying that 418 is going to fall. What better time for it to fall than a World Test Championship final, which would be the perfect full stop on a great week here in London. Let us come to the final word, Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is when we pick the most final word moments of the day, the things that stood out to us. I mean, Pajara getting out to an attempted uppercut could be in the Hall of Fame just on its <laughs> own that was sort of strange enough as it happened, I suppose. Um, what caught your eye today? I just keep seeing the ultimate test everywhere and I was thinking about it towards stumps, like would it be the ultimate test? Of it? But I can't stop thinking of Gareth Keenan in the office when asked about his ultimate fantasy. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> we probably can't go into that <laughs> detail here. But, 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 but that, if you Google it, YouTube sure. it, it's fine. Good clip. It is, I mean, the ultimate test, it is literally true because it is the last test in the cycle of the WTC. Yeah, it is it's literal. ultimate in the literal meaning of the word yeah. being the, the, the final one in a line, yes. The other one I, I want to throw out there in the Hall of Fame, which, by the way, is brought to you by Westfield. We've missed that bit. More extra, less ordinary. Oh, yeah. Westfield, London and Westfield, Stratfield. Um, you can go to the... As Stratford I, City. Stratford City. Keep, Keep your, your eyes, eyes on a bargain before a bargain. You can go to the Copper Chimney. I've said I've been talking to them on, on social media. Oh, yeah, about final you've been word. flirting. Are you closing the deal? Well, you know, I think I am. I, okay. I, I got a message from a friend of ours who'd been working with at Westfield saying, the food's brilliant. They look after you so well. He got a big hug when he went there okay. to eat for the first time. We do big hugs. Yeah. Um, Copper Chimney, a big hug coming your way. Maybe after this test match, we've had a couple of our listeners get in touch asking whether we can do a shopping day. Okay. Um, I'm bang up for that. Um, yep. I don't really need any clothes at the moment, but I'm happy to kind of, you know, pretend I'm paying attention while messing around on my phone like I normally do when sure. my when my fiance's shopping. But even so, uh, the other place you can go to at Shepherd's Bush, the Westfield London, is the Bindas, the modern take on classical Indian street food. Then we can go to okay. Flippers Roller Boogie Disco. Everyone's getting involved on that. That will be what we do on the orange line, on the overground line. We will eventually do this, maybe after the test, yep. although the fact that it's going five days might make it a little bit harder. Do you think if we rock in there tonight, if we rock into Copper Chimney tonight, <laughs> and I just go, Cameron Green, what a catch, what a catch. That was out, out every day. How do you think it's... Will I get a hug? Well, I hope after listening Copper to our hug. podcast, I still want to be involved with us. Yep. Uh, Westfield.co.uk forward slash United-Kingdom forward slash London to see... Everywhere you can eat, drink, play, have fun, and everything else you might want to do in a yep. shopping centre that's the best going around. You might want to assemble a pole. 
you might want to put together a list of things saying, who do you think is good at something? Yeah. Is that the kind of thing you might Why do? Why not? Westfield, London, Westfield, Stratford City, more extra, less ordinary. And my other nomination for the Hall of Fame, just a, 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 a bit of a, a, a rejoinder on like yesterday, we talked about the poll that had Sachin Tendulkar named as the greatest test batsman of all time. Um, the options yeah. for Bel- the... Belatedly, I think. It's, finally, he's got the credit he was due. <laughs> the, the best bowler in the history of men's test cricket was flashed up on the screen for the okay. um, poll today. The options, the options made me giggle. Glenn McGrath, mm-hmm. fine. Okay. Pat Cummins, I mean, sure. I mean, I probably wouldn't have little, been the best for all time. But a bit, bit, bit of little premature on 220-odd wickets. Probably got a bit of a way to go, yeah. Kapil Dev, if you squint, I mean, he did hold the world record. Is he in the best four of all time? There'd be many who would yep. who would say not. But if you, but I'm happy to cop Kapil Dev on he, the basis of his longevity. The, he's in the best four all-rounders of the 80s. Absolutely. With, with the quartet, the great he might, quartet. He might be in the greatest four all-rounders of, of all time. Um, the, the, I, I, the, the Richard Hadley, Botham, Kapil Dev, yeah. and uh, Imran Khan. What a, what a quartet. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Only one I, of them became Prime Minister of a country. I, I probably wouldn't have Mohamed Shami um, as one of the four options as the greatest fast bowler to ever play the game. Ever play no the disrespect game. No, to ever play Test cricket. Mohamed okay. Shami was on the chart. I know they're... they're um, it's a bit it's tailoring cra- it. It's, it's, cra- it's crowd bait. Sure. I get all of that, but yeah. it doesn't make it any less funny. It, it I'm is, not sure who won, by the way. No, it is. It is uh, it's certainly amusing. The, uh, the the underlying part of it is a level of amusement. I mean, he's a very good bowler, and I enjoyed watching Fabulous his work from behind good. the arm today. <laughs> Just probably if you're going all time, if you're going all <laughs> I reckon, time. I reckon that Wazi Macram might have him covered, but I doubt he was getting on the board today. Yeah, like maybe Zahir Khan has, has him covered. <laughs> you know, I, I would. I mean, maybe Ashant Sharma has him covered. Um, I think Jasper Boomer's got him covered. Maybe DK Lilly had him covered. You know, Pretty sure him. of that. Fred yeah. Truman, Michael Marshall. Harold anyway. Marwood, Michael anyway. Holding. Doesn't anyway, matter. It doesn't matter. It you've doesn't only matter. got four spots on the list, and two of them have to be players who are on the field today, <laughs> apparently. Um, Deep right. breath. Uh, that is it. That's, That's been a enough. long episode of our daily show. The last one will be tomorrow on day five of the ultimate test here at uh, the Oval in South London. Adam Collins, Jeff When Lemon. you say the last one, you mean the last one until three days after that when we'll do the preview for the first Ashes test. Yeah. When we'll start doing it. Because we can't stop and we again. won't stop. And if you don't like what we were saying earlier today, don't just abuse us and call us racist and all of that. Like, constructive... Talk about the cricket, good as gold. The other bullshit, leave it out. More extra, less ordinary. Good night. See I ain't protected by the way I ain't fenced in. If my future questions, my current senses, that'd be the same we've been doing for centuries. Sorry if I ran out to empty, wrote this so you know what I meant here. I had to go.